This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, the podcast where we explore the strange worlds of the TriTac Games and bring new life to your campaigns. Whether you're playing a TriTac game or any other game, we hope that you find value in our podcasts. Welcome to the Bureau 13 segment of the TriTac Podcast. This week we're talking about the perfect combination or the perfect composition of a Bureau 13 team, considering supernatural versus quote normal type characters. <laughs> Bureau, Bureau 13 characters considered normal. Right. In the very earliest of Bureau 13, there really weren't any rules for adding in the supernatural, so everybody created characters who were drawn purely from people who had been in a supernatural incident. So your team was a police officer, a teacher, librarian, a gardener, a sewage operator. Science fiction book writer. Science fiction book writer. They were all just so-called normal people. And it, a lot of times it was their secondary skills, as in what their hobbies were. Like one might have been interested in architecture, and the other one might shoot guns on the weekends. And the third one you know, might be interested in ancient languages, or know Hebrew, or Latin, be Catholic. And those actually created the core useful skills that they might use for the team. Of course, they were also given additional training from the Bureau, so they were given a basic set of skills that allowed them to operate as an agent. But a lot of times it was looking into their past and bringing what those characters had forward and saying, okay, well, because I know this, that means that I have some familiarity with this, and therefore I can bring that to the table. And that's what we did back in the beginning, you know, all the characters that way. But then as time went on, it seemed that people started bringing more and more supernatural characters into their teams. Uh, sometimes it was a monster that you ran into and you stopped it from doing whatever it was doing, which might have been something that was not trying to do harm. It just couldn't control itself due to some unnatural need. Or it could be that it just didn't realize what it was doing. It was a teenager that got to puberty and all of a sudden their powers exploded and they didn't know how to control them. But later on they got control. And so the Bureau, rather than leaving them in an unpoliced or unsupervised environment, they said, let's give them to a team and let them train them in their powers as well as use them as a resource on the adventure. 
And so we had more and more supernatural, I use the word supernatural over the broadest sense of not being a so-called normal character into these teams. And so what we're discussing today is what you think would be the perfect Bureau 13 team based upon a mix of normal characters and supernatural characters. Well, I'll first. my first question is going to be, what's the team's overall mission? Are they a roaming team, which means they need to be jack-of-all-trades and a lot of things, or are they a regional team where they're stuck in place, getting to know an area and learning more about and basically being a resource in that sense? Well, even a regional team is going to be having to deal with a lot of different things that might happen. But let's go with the idea of a roving team where they're literally, they could be faced with anything. But in my experience with the games I've written, they, they tend sometimes to be more combat heavy because I hate to say it, they tend to solve problems by seeing how many bolts they can put into it and if it stops or not. But that may be my experience. I actually was, was gaming with a lot of soldiers, so we tended, they tended to be more, you know, shoot 'em up types. All right. What would your ideal team then be? You still need people who, who can investigate. And because you're in areas where you don't know that you don't know the terrain, you don't know who's sleeping with who in the sheriff's office, you need people who are good at investigating. You need people who are good at getting information out of people. That could be the same person. You know, you can have one person, you know, who's very good at smooching people and at the same time getting information. But you still need people who can stand up to whatever it is you're running into, be it giant ants to mutant rabbits or demons, demon plant. You need people who can do their roles very well. Right. But that doesn't answer our question, John. And no, I know it doesn't answer the question because my teams tend to have one, one investigator face person. And then the rest of them were just basically gun bunnies. They specialized in different weapons, but pretty much they would just shoot them up into a glows types. So your ideal team is all humans. Is that what you're telling me? All normal humans with a lot of combat training. Well, at the time it was. But really, is that true? I mean, I granted that's what they played, but it doesn't yeah. mean that that would be the ideal team. No, the current team right now, only two people are, are what we would call mundane. There's a mage, there's a uh, cleric, and then there's the two psionics, and then there's just the team leader and his second command, and they're the mundanes. They actually don't have any powers other than uh, the rest are all, all have some sort of uh, supernatural powers in different areas. Yeah, was that by design, John, or did that just happen because those were the characters that the players wanted to play? A bit more my design. This is what I use for, for all my bureau games. I run at cons. So you created this team? Yeah, I created what I consider a balanced team. Okay, so why did you choose what you chose? It's versatile enough. You have people who, have, who specialize in different areas. One of the mundane is a computer hacker. Uh, the team leader is actually very good at being a team leader. He actually has a lot of skills around organizing and, and handling people and making sure they, you know, they're doing things. He's also built a face person. Though the best face person is one of the psionics who has the ability to charm people with her abilities. The uh, mage, is, he's turned out to be the heavy weapons expert. It's all magical. The priest has almost always been the voice of reason in the game. He's the person who stops and says, wait a second, we probably shouldn't be doing this. And I've, I've been lucky to actually have one or two people who've played him in, in games play him as a reasonable person. He does not go out on a limb and he's He's sort of the, the moral compass of the team. So you chose 
that character to be a priest because you wanted somebody who was going to be the mediator and the provide a moral standard for the team. Is that right? That's correct. In his background, he's a former missionary. He runs a mission in Seattle. He's now serving it part-time, but he runs a mission in Seattle, and he's basically the spiritual connection to the church and also the person who's out busy healing your butt after you get shut off. So why did you choose two of your characters to be psionicists? Why not make them all mages? Because mages can be blocked through various spells, while psionicists can get around that, and vice versa. So there'll be people who are sensitive, who basically are immune to all magical attacks. And they get their butts handed to them by the psionicists, and vice versa. There are people who you, you cannot attack uh, through psionics, but magic gets them in the end. So this allows the team to actually have multiple ways to address a situation. Okay. I agree with John on that. When I made Team Candlestick, I had four base characters. I had a PI with some telekinetic powers and enhanced senses. Our mage was also our scientist. We had a Catholic priestess, therefore our healer, and we had a former fitness instructor who did kickboxing and then also learned to be the gun bunny. Team Candlestick was a pretty well-rounded team. We had pretty much the different types of magic. The investigator was kind of the face person. The gun bunny was the one who just came in guns blazing, sword swinging. It just covered all the bases nicely. There were very few things that they couldn't handle because the mage was also the techie and the scientist. If it couldn't be handled magically, it could be handled through mundane technological methods. So in that, John, I, I agree with John there that if you have the several different types of supernatural disciplines, one way or another, you're going to take care of something through other than just mundane means, either through magic, divine power, or psionic power. Yeah, and the reason why there was two psionicists is because psionics is usually a bit more limited than magic in terms of what they have available for powers. So I created two of them with complementary powers such as telepathy. You can talk to the entire team, well, actually talking, using their, te their telepathy. And one was a telekinetic, which means they can pick up things and throw and throw people around without ever touching them. And the other person, like I said, she has a charm ability, and she will turn that charm on and try to charm your pants off. Adapted them for Savage Worlds, and they're pretty much the same people uh, when it comes down to their powers. And they work pretty much the same way. The last time I used them, the telekinetic was busy tossing uh, people around using her uh, telekinesis just fine proved to be one of the reasons why they were actually able to survive the adventure. But we've so far still mentioned pretty much humans who manipulate these powers. You know, your mage and your cleric and your psionic, they're still pretty much mm -hmm. human people who just happen to have powers. Yeah. There is the matter of the occasional magical or alien being on a Bureau 13 team. You might have a vampire or a werewolf or a ghost or some alien being who's a member of your team and their unique powers and abilities will also complement a team's faculties. I played one game and one of the characters was a genie. She was bound to her master. She actually was an evil genie, but the, her master made the proper wish and basically made her 
bound to him and she had to be good as long as he lived. We always kept worrying when he got close to death because we realized if he ever died, she was no longer bound by that wish. <laughs> and she would probably be taking it out on the team. It's like, oh, I have had, I've had to do this all this time, huh? Zot. Yeah. Yeah. But while she was bound, she was a good genie. And, but the, the GM wisely uh, put limits on her abilities so she couldn't just cross her arms, blink, and there you go. She couldn't do that, but she could do some things. You know that, that no one else could do. Being a djinn, she had the ability to do a lot of casting, so to speak, that didn't require any thought or any any ability. Just boom, there it is. When you are plotting a team that has supernatural beings, not just people using supernatural powers, but supernatural beings, which nine times out of ten they're going to be far more powerful than a, a normal human agent, even one that might have powers. Yeah, you have to find a way to balance that difference because let's say you have. A genie. If that one genie is more powerful than the rest of the team, the team is going to end up being superfluous, and also the players are not going to be all that keen. It's like, well, the person's got all this power. What are we here for? This one person is bigger than all of us put together. Right. You can't violate the player's spotlight time. Well, I mean, even among players, you don't want that group cohesion being lost because Joey decided to play a dragon I'll use the D20 parlance. Like a wormling dragon has an, an ECL of like plus seven. Uh, it's plus four. Still, you got a bunch of first level characters and somebody comes in and wants to play a wormling dragon who ends up being an e- altogether ECL five. Right. Yeah, there's going to be a bit of group cohesion loss because right. that dragon, he may have a first level in smart hero, but he's got those other four levels and he can do things that the first level characters won't be able to do for several levels. You're going to have a lot of people rub the wrong way. Yeah, so you're going to have to have, take some considerations where you might say, oh, well, we're going to have to start this game off with all the characters being a more seasoned group so that when we bring in these people with these special powers or abilities, they don't overwhelm the capabilities of the rest of the team. So you might have to start the game at fifth level with everyone else being at fifth level or the ECL equivalent. Yeah. To, to compensate for that, yeah. Vampires start at what level? I it depends entirely on which version of vampire you're talking about. There's like 20 or 30 of them. Most people will actually go by the only static vampire in the game, which is the vampire template on D20 Modern. If you use that. It's a much higher critter. Seven? Yeah. So you'd be starting a character, boom, level eight, right off the bat. Right. You you need to bring the characters up and have them being a seasoned team before you allow them to have a vampire on the team, or just you're going to have that lack of group cohesion, both in the characters and with the players. Yeah. Now, this may not be a problem depending upon what system you use. Right, right. But that is it's still a consideration that when you bring in these characters that have these great powers, then you have to keep them from overwhelming all the other, uh, as you say, keep the rest of the team from being superfluous. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and you can do it either through metagaming by having all of them, you know, the rest of the team, well, we're going to start them out at a higher level. Or the Bureau, I'm sure, probably has wonderful methods for curbing powers of supernatural beings that they could put on the new agent to curb him a little so he doesn't get a little too carried away. I'm sure that there, if you have, oh some type of supernatural creature that the Bureau could come up with some device or like 
let's say, a very powerful uh, psionic creature, those psi dampening drugs would come in handy. That's maybe what you decide to do. You can always put a shock collar on your on your supernatural creatures and use a clicker. Everyone has a clicker attached to their watch, so just something. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah, like cheers, dance, mailman. Yeah, um, the whole <laughs> just to have in-game method, so that player, yeah, he has powers that are unique due to his very being but they're not outrageously so. And as time goes on, as the characters in the team otherwise get more powerful, you can just say that the device is wearing down a little or we've decided to relax some of the restrictions, you know, something like that, some in-game method to level things out. We had mentioned different types of supernatural creatures that could be used as agents, such as vampires, lycanthropes, various types of undead, alien being oh yeah heck you could have an android as a team member sure yeah which means they'd be stronger faster uh more durable uh definitely smarter they retain information better uh, depending on their composition they could they withstand combat better wouldn't have to eat oh yeah right you know eat sleep you know no they're not bound by biological limitations maybe yeah that that's another thing we were thinking supernatural technological just now came to mind Again, when we say supernatural in Bureau 13, we mean anything that isn't what you consider to be a normal person. Right, right. So somebody who's a cyborg or an android, it qualifies as supernatural in that sense. Yeah, yeah. okay. If you play a Ghost in the Shell campaign where everybody's walking around like that, that is society, then it's no longer supernatural. Right. And also, I'm, I've been thinking about you know supernatural that sound neat, but in practice really can't do much. We were talking about ghosts. Well, depending on the type of ghost you're playing, you may be relegated to, uh, guys, over there, and that's it. Yeah. Most ghosts can't do in the physical world. Now, in the, in the supernatural uh, dimension you live in as a ghost, you might actually be very effective, but in normal day-to-day adventures, on a bright sunny day, no one's going to see you walking with the team. <laughs> You may not be able to walk. You may be bound to wherever you died. So you, this is a piece of wood they carry around with them because that's what you're bound to is that piece of wood. That's interesting. Uh, let me tell you my considerations for a best team. First of all, I've always been more interested in the spotlight time than I am about power levels. So what I always told people was I said, okay, look, he says, you're going to create a team. You are allowed one mage, one psionicist one supernatural creature, and the rest have to be normal people who can have uh, specialties that are interesting but don't cross each other. That way, we didn't have one group sort of overwhelming the other uh, and still kept the core concept that these were normal people who had been brought into the Bureau, part of the, the Bureau background concept. And so that way you could have only one person who had psionic power, so therefore they didn't have to worry about somebody else taking their spotlight time. There were some big advantages to this, and it also meant that we had to turn around and say, okay, what is the purpose of these characters? If we're going to build a team, why do we want a psionicist? Why do we want a mage? Why do we want a supernatural creature? Why do we want normal people? For me, the way I broke it out was... The psionicists, because of the way they're designed, they, they're either your communication experts, as in telepaths, or they were people who had some major league attack powers. 
as in mind strikes or telekinesis or something like that. The mages were actually the generalists. They were able to make things happen that didn't make sense logically. They were able to violate causality. They were able to violate the rules of energy in the sense where you could create fire out of nothing or you could pick up an object and, and say, tell me about yourself, and the object would, would start talking or anything like that. I saw them as kind of a generalist who could get around a situation where there was an impasse and the characters didn't have a piece of equipment that they needed or they didn't have a skill that they needed. Magic could bridge that problem. The supernatural creature primary job was I'm immune to something. Something's not going to affect me and we can use that to our advantage. I can be the guy who's standing in the middle of the room saying, come here, whatever you are, you know, come get me, and then you can rain down on me whatever it is that I'm immune to, and it won't hurt me, but it'll fry that creature. Ghosts are the absolute example of that. They are dead. You can't kill them. Therefore, they're immune to pretty much everything. They're immune to fire, electricity, sonic, light, radiation. A lot of times they're immune to even psionics or magic, depending upon what we're talking about. Oh, I forgot the priest character. Also, it would include a, a spiritual character as well, uh, as one of the possible team members. Sometimes the priest would provide that immunity as well. Because in the original Bureau 13 game, the priest could throw up an area of anti-magic around himself that was completely impervious to the supernatural. He could create a bolt hole that people could hide into and regroup and figure out what their next move was while the Denzians of Hell were beating on the outside and not able to get through because he was anti-supernatural was the way the original priests were depicted in Bureau 13. So that's how I created the team. I would say, okay, if I'm going to create an ideal team in the sense that it covers all the bases and we're being as flexible as possible. I would say one supernatural creature, one mage, one psionicist, one priest, and then everybody else would be normal, quote, normal type characters. Okay. So all of us are in agreement that a well-rounded team where you're going to cover a majority of the things that you think a bureau team is going to run across in their day-to-day -day operations is the best way to go. Because a lot of the stuff that's out there can be covered by one or two of those people. When you're in a situation where you're demanding absolute flexibility, where you could run into anything, having the widest range of powers and abilities is a great thing. By the way, one of the main reasons to have somebody who was normal and not just a whole group of supernatural creatures, in the way I ran my game, the Corellian Detector would get screwed up by the supernatural creatures that were broadcasting all kinds of supernatural power right next to them. They couldn't use a Corellian Detector. Later on, we said, okay, well, if you plug in the special mo module to it, the computer module, then we could filter out your fingerprint, your whatever it was. But then we also had to say, well, yeah, but if the thing we're up against is a psionic type creature and you're a psionic character in the party, I filter you out. I may not see that creature now. So it was always good to have one person, at least one person, who could walk around with a Krillian detector and not worry about their own personal aura interfering or confusing the readings that they were taking. If I may use something from the Teen Titans, you had all these characters with powers, Changeling, Cyborg, 
Wonder Girl, Starfire, Raven, and then you had Nightwing, the former Robin. He had no powers whatsoever. Now, there was a character, a villain named the Terminator, who knew how to take out all the super-powered beings. It was Nightwing that ended up being the hardest because he was the relative mundane of the group. All he had was acrobatics and good detective skills and hand-to-hand fighting. And he was the one that was the hardest to take down and eventually took down the villain because he couldn't be captured. When you have a supernatural creature or a mage or a psi or a cleric, you know that throw up an anti-magic field. Or if you're a cleric, overwhelm them with evil. Or with a psi, some type of anti-psionic. Or if you're a supernatural creature, they usually have some type of bane you can throw at them. Mundanes... All they got is the ability to think on their feet. They can stop on a dime and change their tactics real quick, which means those are the hardest ones to keep up with. Right. So it's good to have some mundanes on the team and just let them have really big guns. (laughs) The mundanes also could be your experts on Bane deliveries. Oh, yeah. Because in the Bureau 13 game, everything has a Bane. Humans have a Bane. It's called nerve gas. Oh, yeah. Bullets. (laughs) Well, no, bullets don't kill instantly. Nerve gas does. See, most supernatural creatures have at least one substance that will make them uh, incapable or slow them or really make a huge difference to them. And yes, bullets are a good example for doing things like slowing people down. But a lot of supernatural creatures that had these invulnerabilities we were talking about, they also have banes. So your normal characters who had no superpowers, they pull out that crossbow or that shotgun full of the bane, blast it away, and suddenly that creature is as helpless as a baby. You just have to be smart enough to be able to figure out what that bane is and how to deliver it effectively. Yeah. One of the main reasons why originally we didn't have a lot of supernatural creatures was because we said, well, you know, we don't need their powers. We can just bring out a Bane and use that against the creature. That was a theory. I think it's a poor theory because it operates on perfect knowledge of the players. It also means that you never in a situation where you have a situation that needs to be resolved, not a monster that needs resolved. If you're on the wrong side of a locked door and it's filling full of water and you don't have any explosives that work underwater, having the mage that can or the psionicist who can use telekinesis to open the door from the other side is a benefit. Yeah. Remember, they were all mundanes when the Bureau first started. The Bureau did not start using any supernatural. I mean, we're talking even mundanes that use supernatural until 1889. That was almost 20, 25 years after the Bureau started. And I believe it was a witch and an alchemist were the first two magic-using agents in the Bureau. Until then, it was just guys with guns and fists and brains. Right, and Banes. Yeah, and Bane weaponry. And they finally decided to, as the term would be, fight fire with fire. Huh, we have all these magical creatures. We might want to have some magic-using humans on our side. Hence the first witch and alchemist. One of the stories for Team Fremont was them encountering a situation where the scientists and mages were totally helpless. This thing appeared out of nowhere, and all of a sudden it was on the ground screaming because whatever is in this region, this, this space appeared, wasn't any magic. It was no magic. It was no sigh. And it was hurting them physically just to be near the place. More than just anti, it was, you don't exist. Bye. And having the mundanes around 
save their butts. So there's a good reason to have mundanes in your party too and not just have a supernatural one. And that's a non-spotlight reason to do that. There's a lot of tactical reasons. It's really hard to go beyond that, I think, to say, well, what's the absolute perfect thing? Because as you said, it all depends on how many players you have. If we set a minimum of five, that was covering all the bases of the mage, the, uh, the psionicist, the cleric, the monster, and the normal, five. That'd be your minimum team size, would be five, to have one of each category available. Now, here's a question then, because in my team, the, the team leader is one of the mundanes. In a team like you're discussing, who would be the team leader? Would it be the mundane, or would it be some, one, of the, one of the others? That really preposes that the backstory on the characters, how they got into the Bureau. If eventually, a monster who had joined the Bureau, who'd proven himself, as I said uh, on another uh, episode, uh, had been provided a path to redemption and might very well become the team leader. The team leader should be, theoretically, the person with the best leadership skills, the, the one who has the best skills in coordinating people together. And in D20 Modern, they have certain classes that have these kinds of special abilities, like the dedicated class and the charismatic class both tend to have special abilities that make the team work better together. So if you have that kind of thing in your game system, then whoever has those particular abilities, they should be the ones that are the team leader, unless, of course, they're the least experienced. If we're dealing it purely from a standpoint of story, it should be the person who's the most experienced, the most trusted, the most seasoned, because they've seen it all, and they're going to be the first to realize what's going on and take counteractions against it. Hmm. Yeah. A lot of times, you are just going to have certain players who are always going to be the team leaders. Now, this is more of a metagaming standpoint, but I had certain people in my group, we just did not want them to lead. They just did not play leaders well. They might have had the skills on their character sheet. It was more R-O-L-L playing, not R-O-L-E playing. Uh, a player may trip over his own tongue all the time, but he might have a plus 20 to his diplomacy role. That, that's a more of a metagaming thing. Yeah, it just happens to be whoever is uh, most qualified for the task of leading. Someone who not only has the natural charm and ability but who's trusted by the other members on that team. Or the converse, where you put the least capable person as the team leader because you're trying to groom them to have those abilities. Yeah, and usually that would be a uh, command decision from headquarters, so to speak. That would not be, that would be that whole conflict thing, you know, like, no, this vampire is going to work with your team because we said so. The same thing, it's like, this guy has this specific training. We train him with, with people. Therefore, yes, we may have just joined the team, but he's going to be your leader. We did it simply because we wanted the players to become better players. You, know, you always have these players who kind of sit in the background and just kind of go along, and they don't really learn the game very well because they could do a few things really well, and they just keep to those things. Well, you say, okay, uh, Sue... You're the team leader on this mission. The Bureau said it is. Sorry, i got to step down. You're in charge. Go for it. And all of a sudden, that player is like, holy cow. Now what do I do? And then they actually have to start thinking about how to be a good Bureau agent, how to run an investigation, how to do what needs to be done. 
and they become better players and their characters become more effective as a result. I can use my Saturday game as an example. My daughter as a character, Elven Ranger, just like tracking and being with her wolf. And she got the team leader mantle thrust upon her because when the guy came with the assignment, she was the one that answered the door. Oh, good, your team's together. And my daughter played it perfectly. was like, excuse me, what? It was because mine and another person's character were too busy fighting over who would get to answer the door. And <laughs> since then, my daughter, who, heck, she's going to be 17 in a couple of weeks, she's already been, become a very experienced leader. She's playing this character, and she's coming up with plans, and she knows, okay, which characters can do what and how to use that. She's gaining a, a knowledge of, of tactics as far as our strengths and weaknesses for my character and the other players on the team. So, yeah, that's a good way to... She's been groomed, but it wasn't due to being forced into the role. She just sort of fell into it being at the right place at the right time. Well, you have to have player buy-in when you do this, because obviously if you have a player who doesn't want to be the team leader, you have to convince them to do it. It's important that the other characters, the other players, don't hang that character out to drive. About half of all the Japanese animation that's ever been done involves <laughs> some sagely group of individuals who suddenly run across some kid, and the kid becomes the leader. And, you know, obviously everybody else in the group is a far more capable person. But you let the kid lead because, you know, the kid needs to lead. Yeah. And you can do that in your Bureau 13 games, too. So, yeah. so the leader doesn't have to be the, the human. It doesn't have to be the most powerful creature. That really has nothing to do with the team composition. That's something that's more of a situational or a, a, literally a, a composition of the players than anything else. I'm trying to recall any other type of role that you would need in a team. I mean, as I said, we have mage, cleric, psi, combatants, investigators. Well, they're all combatants. Well, yeah, but I mean, when I mean combatants, we're talking usually people who have some type of combat training, i.e. hand-to-hand, melee weapon, or firearm. Well, those can be the humans, the, the normals, or, and again, it depends on what you want to do with the characters. Because when we talk about things like the supernatural powers, as John talked about his psionicists, they've got telekinesis, but they're using it to pick pockets. So you've got your stealth-type characters, but they're using psionics in order to do it. So, you know, these roles that we're talking about, just because you're one of the supernatural type creatures doesn't prevent you from being in any of these roles. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering if there are any types of characters that would be in a team that we've missed. One of my characters is a computer hacker, but that's sort of a specialized role. Yeah, that would probably be more along the lines of investigative because they're using the computer to find out things. Yeah. Right, but but you could have the mage who had the ability to talk to computers. He has a spell that is charm computer, and now the computer does whatever he wants to. It goes, you know, breaks down firewalls, does whatever he wants it to do. You can build that into the character's abilities to fulfill those roles, which a person would normally have to use skills in order to do. I gotta use that in one of my games. <laughs> And it's funny because in Urban Arcana, they even have that type of class called the Shadow Jack. 
they have, you know, like the techno magic spell book, and then from there they can hack into computers via magic and make them do all sorts of things that even a normal programmer just can't do because they're sidestepping natural laws and the laws of logic and reason and right. by, by magic. It's the only way you could really make that virus that could go from the Apple computer over to the mothership and take down all the motherships. Yeah. Oh, come on. What kind of crazy idea is that? It sounds like somebody would be putting a movie. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've exhausted this one again, which is fine. Trav, why don't you do the close? Okay. The composition of a bureau team as far as supernatural beings, those people who use supernatural powers and regular mundane agents, the composition of said teams can be made to cover as many situations that a bureau team will run across in their day-to-day operations. The whole point of a bureau team is that they're supposed to think on their feet and use what natural talents that they have in order to protect America from supernatural threats and to hide it from the general public. As you get your Bureau 13 campaign going, the players and the GM can sit down and plot out, okay, I would like to play this character, that character. And as time goes on, you're going to learn to use the character's various abilities and talents and skills to mesh into a cohesive whole. In the world of Bureau 13, anything and everything goes. So your players need to keep on their own toes in order to make sure that this mix works out well. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.